broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rural Broadband Today. I'm your host, Stephen Smith, and I am delighted to have with me as my guest today, uh, Mr. Jeff Arnold. He is the Executive Director of the Association of Louisiana Electric Cooperatives. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, we, uh, we we have an interesting topic today, and honestly, in, in, in all my years of uh, covering uh, the rural broadband industry, electric cooperatives, uh, politics, I have uh, never seen an issue play out like this, so uh, it's an interesting story that I look forward to sharing with our listeners. Um, Jeff, there was... Uh, a bill that on the surface sounds like a great idea came through the the session recently of the uh, Louisiana legislature that would allow uh, uh, the expansion of uh, rural broadband. But there was a little problem with that bill. Why don't you get into it and sort of set the stage for us? Sure. Um, so we had a senator from one of our rural areas who uh, is on one of our electric co-op lines uh, who does not have broadband. And with the advent of COVID and the increased need on an education side for good access to the Internet, uh, she introduced a bill in the regular session of the Louisiana legislature to uh, call it the Louisiana uh, Electric Cooperative Broadband Access Bill. And as she filed the bill, the language was okay. We, we were okay with it. We, we didn't act for a bill. But uh, as most people in rural Louisiana know, that uh, the best way to get fiber to the home is utilizing the network uh, already in place by electric co-ops. So she filed the bill. We were supportive of it. It it got into committee. And the telecom companies were able to get an amendment on in the Senate committee that basically uh, the bill provided that uh, installation of fiber could be used on what we call Louisiana servitudes without having to pay an additional cost to a landover, landowner. So if the electric co-op had a servitude already on that property, just laying fiber on that existing servitude did not constitute an additional payment. So what we're trying to do is drive down the cost of bringing broadband to, to rural Louisiana. Uh, telecommunications company got an amendment on saying that you could only utilize that bill if the company that was going to use those servitude for free was serving only the unserved areas when it came to broadband. And so basically the most expensive customers that the big telecommunication companies do not want to serve anyway um, were the ones that they were going uh, with this amendment would be the only ones you could serve. And we all know from electricity, uh, you know, that doesn't work. you got to have at least some concentration of customers somewhere along your system that helps you pay for the most expensive customers at the end of the line. Um, you know, we're not the big investor-owned utilities that may have 40 to 100 uh, meters within a mile. We're the ones who have, you know, maybe one meter every four miles <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Once you get down to the end of the line, you know, or four meters on a mile of, of electrical wires. So the, the amendment really 
took us out of the out of the ability to even provide broadband if we wanted to. In Louisiana, we 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 were not restricted from getting into the broadband business, the electric co-ops. We could do it uh, already. Now we are governed by a public service commission um, that if we incur any debt on behalf of our membership, that we would have to go to them to get approval before we we, we place that debt or that promise of debt on our existing members and owners of the co-ops. But other than that, we had no restrictions of going into the business. Um, this not only restricted us, it basically prohibited us. It said we could only serve co-ops, could only serve the unserved areas. So we couldn't even serve all of our existing customer base. So we fought that uh, amendment. Um, we tried to fight it in committee on the House side um, and were uh, unsuccessful in getting an amendment attached to the bill that would take that amendment off. Uh, we had two attempts on the House floor to remove that amendment. Uh, both failed. And, and, and I call it, uh, I, I blame it a little bit on COVID, the reason why we couldn't get the bill fixed, uh, because they took over a month recess, the Louisiana legislature, and when they came back, everything was in a hurry. And, and on top of that, we just had a changeover with term limits. We had 60 new members in the House of Representatives out of 105. Oh, wow. So, right. So they weren't completely you know, uh, up to speed on the process, on the, the legislation, how everything works. Um, and so if it wasn't a fi- what I call a fire starter bill, and the fire starter bills this, in these sessions are the budget and tort reform in Louisiana. So if it wasn't those, they weren't paying much attention to them. And, and to be quite frank, a broadband bill for rural Louisiana is like mom and apple pie. Who's going to vote against it? We got to get broadband. So it was, even if you're from the most urban areas, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, you were going to vote for this bill because you knew you had internet and they should have it too. The problem was uh, in, in the, the actual language of the bill, and it did more to hurt the possibility of broadband in rural Louisiana than it did to help. In addition, it was actually in conflict with federal law. The Telecom Act of 1996 uh, says you shall not impede competition by local or state statute. Uh, and that's exactly what this did. So as it went through the process, we thought the author was going to send it to conference committee so that we could look at the amendments and possibly change them in conference committee. Uh, she was afraid the bill was going to die, um, that the telecom companies would kill it if she removed that language. So she moved to concur in the House amendments because uh, they had a couple of amendments on the House side and uh, that were minor, and they passed it and sent it to the governor. So you basically had a bill that had a poison pill in it where – uh, the the intent was to do great things and uh, for the especially the the rural uh, residents of Louisiana, and what you've ended up with here is a bill that basically would prohibit the electric cooperatives from uh, getting in there and, and and providing broadband and really just blocking uh, competition altogether, right? Well, and not only that, you know, it it stopped anybody. The the way our attorney uh, read the language of the bill was that anyone who wanted to use those servitudes you know, uh, at no cost, would not be able to serve any served areas. So even the big companies, if they wanted to come in and serve those areas, they would have to start a new company because they already serve, you know, served what are called technically the served areas. So it really was a complicated bill. Uh, the way they read it was that we could only serve the unserved areas, but they could serve both, um, which was unfair competition. Because if we went in and, and did the unserved areas, there was nothing stopping them from coming in and competing with us. It, it was just it was just crazy all the way around. So uh, you know, so I, I organized on a state level 
a petition uh, of our members, uh, members. So, uh, you know, the p- people on the line who lived on the line and, uh, within 48 hours, we were able to generate over 500, uh, petitions online where we captured names, uh, email address, almost everyone's, uh, mailing addresses. So, and, and presented that to the governor as well as a letter, uh, from all of my members anyway, of the association with the electric co-ops, all seven of our members signed a letter to the governor acting on the veto of the bill, uh, along with the fi- 500 petitions that we generated in 48 hours. Uh, I presented that to the governor. Um, I met with the governor and explained to him our issues with the bill. Of course, his first response was, and, and, and for a little background on me, I actually served in the Louisiana legislature for 14 years. And the current governor uh, and I served eight years together and served on, I was chairman of a committee that he was a member of my committee. Uh, so we, we have a really good relationship. So when we sat down to talk about the bill, um, you know, it can't, you know, he's like, Jeff, how do I veto a bill that no one voted against? And technically he's, cor- he's correct. We had a lot of votes for the amendment. We just didn't have enough for the amendment on the floor to try and fix it. And so we went through the whole process of, um, you know, why it was illegal federally, why, you know, how, why would you sign a bill that's called the electric co-op broadband access bill that every electric co-op is against? And so we went through all the points and finer points of it. Uh, to complicate things even more, he's a Democrat governor in a very strong Republican state. Um, so the veto override is a real possibility if he was to veto it. And obviously no governor wants to get a, a override on a veto. The governor had also started and created the uh, broadband for everyone Louisiana commission. Uh, which had just started meeting right right during COVID, and so they really hadn't had a real meeting, not in not in person anyway. Everything had been on the uh, the internet and telephone calls, and so he wanted to give the broadband commission an opportunity to come up with ideas so that we could get a good full implementation of of broadband access to the most rural parts of Louisiana. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah, a lot, a lot of things coming into play. Uh, and with that, he did ve- he did veto the bill, which um, th- had over forty co-authors, and not one person in the House or Senate voted against. Well, I was going to say, let's back up and uh, set the stage a little bit for our listeners here that you have uh, you have a bill coming out of the the House and Senate and conference committee. Everything's ready to go. There hasn't been any opposition to it. You know, at that point, the trains left the station, and uh, it would seem on the surface that really your only option at that point would be. Well, we're going to have to come back in the next session, hopefully a special session. But if not, you know, the next session, we're going to have to come back and, and fix this problem. What uh, what gave you the idea to think that, well, maybe we don't have to wait that long. We we do have another option to get this thing taken care of quickly. Well, we knew, we knew that the legislature was calling themselves in the session. So when the regular session ended June 1st, whatever it was, uh, at 6 p.m., at 6.01, they started a special session. Uh, which included broadband and the uh, the call of the session so they could file bills dealing with the broadband issue. Uh, the, the senator who held the bill in the first session, regular session, filed a bill, and it was not really uh, in the same vein. This was going to be a reporting bill that the electric co-ops and all the telecom companies would have to report back to the legislature uh, next year, you know, what progress has been made to bring, indeed, bring uh, broadband to rural Louisiana. and so. The bill was in the right statute section of law, that, uh, uh, the same as the last bill. So we were able to 
after the governor met with her and vetoed her bill, um, were able to get her, convinced her to use that bill to be the fix. So literally, uh, they were in the special session when he vetoed the bill, and she had a bill going before committee. So we amended that bill to be the correct version of her first bill without the bad amendments. Uh, we convinced leadership in both the House and Senate uh, to uh, get on board and not amend the bill uh, with the telecom amendments uh, as, they did, as they did in the first session. Mm-hmm. And everyone agreed. Uh, telecom was not happy, as you can imagine. Uh, instead of turning cards in support of the bill, as they should have, because they can utilize the provisions in this bill as well if they truly want to serve the underserved. But uh, they turned in, uh, so we have green cards, red cards, and white cards. You know, green card means you're in support of the bill. Red card means you're against the bill. And I did turn in red cards on the House side of the of the bill in the, in the regular session. So we were against it, and we noted that. Uh, it just didn't go very far with regards to the respect to the representatives. But uh, they turned in white cards in the special session, uh, you know, which, you know you, which, which we read as they're not very happy that we were able to, number one, veto the bill, and, and number two, um, get the version of the bill that we liked out in the, in the special session, which eventually passed and uh, the governor has signed. So. Which also speaks to where their interests really lie. Um, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be looking at this uh, – uh, broadband uh, gap in terms of uh, rural areas. If you know, if, if big telecom was serious about solving that problem, in Louisiana, it goes back ten years. When I was actually chairman of the Commerce Committee, we passed a bill that took away the individual. You know, we have parishes in Louisiana as opposed to counties. So we passed a bill that took away the individual parish ability to franchise cable TV. So you can get a state franchise and then go in and serve any area. You know, in uh, with competition to provide competition. The intent back then was that they would bring cable TV to all of Louisiana, rural Louisiana. If they had lived up to that promise that they made 10 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because rural Louisiana, if they had cable, it's much easier to give them internet. You know, 10 years ago, the internet was, was a luxury, not a necessity. Well, today with telemed, with education, and everything else, it's it's you know it's it's not a luxury; it's a necessity. Yeah, and absolutely. So, right. So if they if they had lived up to their promises ten years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Jeff, I think one of the lessons uh, to come out of this, and there are many, uh, is that going to the governor and asking him to veto a bill that had no opposition in the House or Senate is something I've never heard of being done. And so, when you did that, you certainly did your homework and um, went with facts about uh, how that was going to impact the electric cooperative's ability to provide broadband. But you also went with uh, some grassroots efforts and that advocacy that you touched on a few minutes ago. I'd like to dig down into that a little bit and why you felt like that it was important for the governor not only to hear from the electric cooperatives with those letters, but from the members themselves who would be impacted at the end of the lines. Right. I mean, and that's the most, when you come to, you know, having served, I understand it. When, it, you know, having a letter from me and from my general manager to the governor, you know, it, it, it's going to weigh a lot. But having 500 plus letters from constituents at the end of the line um, makes much more of an impact on a governor who's actually from rural Louisiana. So it, may, it has much more of an impact. Okay, 500 people took the time to send me this. 
And, you know, we worked with NRECA as well, and we had even, uh, they generated some more uh, emails directly to the governor as well, with NRECA being a National Rural Electric Co-op Association. Um, uh, it, it, so all of that combined together really was the, the impression, you need grassroots, you need to make them understand, because when we were fighting in that regular session, we literally, um, I had my lobbyist there, and we had another lobbyist there working on behalf of, of our position on the bill and the amendment that we wanted to pass, Telecom had at least, I think, 25 lobbyists working their side of the issue. And, you know, so we, we don't have the deep pockets. We don't, we can't go to an investor and say, Hey, give me more money. I need to go fight this bill, uh, fight for this issue or whatever. We, you know, we're, we work on margins and, you know, and we have to give that money back to our members, whether it be in the form of uh, capital credit or whether it comes back as a, um, you know, infrastructure, investment in infrastructure and in our power lines. So, you know, we don't have the ability to just tell the investors, give me more money. Right, right. Well, what kind of lesson do you think, uh, big big picture, that this gives us about the importance of uh, staying connected with your members in terms of uh, being able to, you know, rally those members for an advocacy issue? Why, why is that important for an electric cooperative? Well, sure. Well, it, it's the voice. It's the real voice that that elected officials are going to listen to. Uh, I, I took over uh, the Association of Louisiana Electric Co-ops in November 2018, and they had, had just had a little bit of a grassroots effort uh, on a tax issue that was affecting electric co-ops, and that was done more on a uh, my board and my members' board level. But um, one of my goals since I've been here is to reach out further, to get to each individual electric co-ops members so that when we have a real issue, we can shoot something out to our members, which are the members of the association, uh, those seven electric co-ops that they can push down. Cause I can tell you, um, just from the experience of an email coming from me to a member on the line is less likely to get opened than an email coming from their actual co-op. So you got to be scientific on how you do it. Uh, and actually, you, you typically get a better response on social media. But then again, that goes back to the whole problem of most of our people have bad access to the Internet. So they're not on social media as much either. Um, you know, they're doing most of, most of their social media on their phones if they're in an unserved area. Yeah. And uh, using that, that database line. So, um, you know, whether it's email, they're checking out work because they don't have it at home. Uh, it's it's more likely to be opened uh, if it comes from their actual co-op as opposed to coming from their statewide association. Um, so that that's the avenue we're working. We're working with our managers to expand that. Uh, we have a couple of our co-ops that are really engaged with their members uh, on a social media front and on an email front. And uh, we'd like to build that across Louisiana, not just for Louisiana issues, but actually from the National Rural Electric Co-op Association point of view, um, you know, generating uh, contributions to our political action committee, um, which funnels money back down to Louisiana as well, so that we were able to have funds to fight these issues as they come up. So it's it's important all the way around. Absolutely. So uh, get, getting back to that bill, kind of give us an idea now of where uh, the, the new bill, what that enables for the electric cooperatives. What, what does that mean? And uh, what what do you see in the future move, moving forward uh, as, because of this legislation? Sure, it, it's a much cleaner what we call access bill. 
So what the bill is intended to do and provide is any company who wishes to bring broadband access to a um, rural electric co-op customer who is considered unserved, um, they can utilize our servitudes um, without having to pay the landowner for that use of servitude. So right now you have to go and negotiate. If, you, if you're laying fiber, you need to go, even if you're using our existing servitude, you have to go and negotiate with each of the landowners because that was not part of our agreement with that landowner. You need to get your own. With this legislation, you no longer have to do that. And there is a real example of how that was abused and, and went to the lawsuit where uh, one of our electric companies, IOUs, uh, laid fiber on their existing line saying that they were using it to monitor their electric systems. And they installed more fiber than they needed to just monitor their transmission lines and everything else. And they started to lease out or sell out the ex excess capacity of their fiber lines on those existing servitudes. Someone found out about it. A landowner, lawyer found out about it. They sued and they won. Mm. So, so that electric company now had to pay an additional and negotiate to pay an, an additional fee for use of that servitude that was not included in the original agreement. So that's why we needed the legislation so that we can try and maintain some affordability of installation as we move forward so that the, the uh, installers and the companies providing the broadband know that all they have to do is pay for is to, is to run that line. They don't have to worry about negotiating every piece of private property that they, they may be crossing. That's taken care of now in legislation. So that, that's the biggest thing. We're trying to drive down the cost of bringing internet to most rural parts of Louisiana. Right, because it's expensive enough as it is to get in those low-density right. areas, that's for sure. Well, talking to the individual broadband uh, installers and providers, that's their biggest impediment to get into the most rural areas is, 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 is that cost of servitude access. All right, makes sense. So, Jeff, what do you see ahead? Uh, what's the landscape look like for electric cooperatives looking to uh, really move into uh, the broadband business possibly in the state of Louisiana? What might be ahead? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there's so many different models, as you know, all over the country of how co-ops are getting into the business. Um, do I see a couple of them maybe getting into the business themselves as a subsidiary where they run the whole company? Um, but a more likely scenario is partnering with smaller broadband companies that have the expertise in installation and service and then allowing the uh, co-ops to use their expertise and already built-in administration to possibly do billing and uh, and those sorts of things because they already have the people in place to do it on the electrical side. And I, I really see that as the biggest advantage. And then working together with, in Louisiana, our planning districts and uh, with government to make sure we're accessing all the available funds that are out there. Um, the legislature also passed a couple of tax credits uh, dealing with broadband, uh, some of which would be beneficial to the co-ops. Some of them are not because we're not for not-for-profits. But there are some opportunities that they had done to make it even cheaper to get tax credits uh, towards um, putting installation of broadband in. So as we partner with companies that are eligible for those credits, you know, it makes it, it also drops down the cost. So we'll be looking for partners in some areas of the state, and some of our co-ops, as I said, will probably go out and do it on their own. It's definitely a mixed bag, and I think that's what uh, it's going to take because there's so many different uh applications and possibilities and 
you know, scenarios that are going to work in, in different situations across the country. But, right. uh, Jeff, we appreciate you, uh, sharing a story on, on our show today. Uh, a big congratulations to, uh, uh, the, the getting the veto and, and fixing a bill again. I've never heard, uh, never heard of anyone taking that approach and, uh, and it worked out great for you guys. Sounds like, uh, so I, I really appreciate you joining us on uh, the podcast today. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Rural Broadband Today, where we take a look at the people and the issues that are shaping uh, the rural broadband story across America. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Smith. This podcast is produced by WordSouth, a content marketing company. Be sure to like and share this podcast with your network as we spread the rural broadband story. Thanks for listening. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.